Restaurant. Unstoppable. Episode 407. And then really, the success of the product is really what what the chef and the, and the marketing partners put into it. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable, and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's cabbage with a K. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. Who loves doing paperwork? No one. Sorcery is an efficient online AP automated solution for the food service industry and restaurants, large and small, are using Sorcery to provide a scalable solution to help them create efficiencies and ultimately grow their business while impacting their bottom line. To learn more, head to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com. And be sure to mention Restaurant Unstoppable to get your first month free. So with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Sean McGrath. Sean, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Oh, always, Eric. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, very, very, very excited and unstoppable. It's <laughs> yes. a great time to be uh, in the food business and, and come up with new ideas. Uh, there's so much uh, celebration of entrepreneurs out there and in uh, food consumption and, and just media. Um, definitely unstoppable. Awesome, dude. And uh, before we move on, I got to say a special thank you to Kyle McKnight for helping set this conversation up. Uh, So Sean McGrath holds a food science degree from Virginia Tech's and a culinary degree from the Cordon Bleu. Sean managed the Sarah Lee Culinary Department for 10 years and then started his own company, Chef2Shelf.com, after realizing there was a need for fellow chefs, restaurateurs, or restaurants and food companies to extend their products to uh, basically shelves, I guess, <laughs> Sean. Uh, so I just kind of set it up a little bit. Uh, I can't wait to uh, dive into who you are in the, the topic we're going to be discussing today, which is basically just getting uh, your products on retail shelves. Uh, but before we dive into that topic, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? I love the quote, just always be resourceful. Um, you know, things are hard for a reason. It, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Um, if you really put your mind to stuff, you can get things done. I have a couple of uh, success stories where your know, chefs were buying, you know, five, 10, 15 pounds of chilies at a farmer's market and making some incredible sauces. And, you know, when they first approached me, how would we get this done? You know, just the scaling up of, of, of a product in a production facility. You really got to start thinking about volumes and sourcing and 
and you know, sitting down and working with farmers and, and multiple farmers and, and, and introducing them and, and sharing seeds and, and planning a crop and planning this year in advance, um, you know, is an example of resourcefulness and, and thinking about sustainability and how, how they, you know, a product um, from a small, tiny kitchen scale can go into a, a larger format. Yeah, and uh, listening, listening to that that quote, I just can't help but think about. I think a lot of people probably never take their idea or their their product to that next level to put it on the shelves of uh, local retail shops because they just don't know what to do, and they they kind of limit themselves the possibilities because they don't know what steps to take. But if you ask yourself how uh, and keep your mind open and just start taking steps in the right direction, being resourceful, like you say, it, it's amazing what you can accomplish uh, with just you know that i guess that initiative in that that resourceful mindset right no definitely yeah so i came up um up through the food industry with a food science degree in culinary as you mentioned and uh, working for large and consumer packaged goods companies primarily making products and, and coming up with products for for restaurant chefs to use um did definitely a lot of work on the retail shelf space as well but you know, primarily, my mindset has been working in operations for restaurants and coming up with products that are going to perform the same every time, whether you're, you know, one restaurant unit or 14,000, 15,000 units. Um, so working working with uh, the larger restaurant groups, really, you know, you have to dial in your your uh, repeatability and your, your product has to, to perform every time to be the same, in, in, you know, in all the all the restaurants. Awesome. So, um, I mean, you kind of, I, I mean, I kind of gave the listeners an idea of who you are and we mentioned your, your background, but why don't you just dive a little bit deeper into who you are and how you got to where you are today and what makes you an authority on this topic of bringing your products to retail shelves? Yeah. So I started out working uh, for actually a food packaging company that specialized in the, the meat industry. So I did a lot of work with in their food lab, um, and packaging interaction with, final products, a lot of formulation work around sausages, smoked meats, beef jerkies, uh, you name it in the protein world. Uh, and I moved over to Sara Lee Corporation and Sara Lee had such a portfolio of from beverage to desserts to, uh, you know, some pretty iconic meat brands like Jimmy Dean and Hillshire Farms worked, worked on those lines and started interacting with some of the large restaurant groups out there on Starbucks, uh, Burger King, you know, those sort of large, large brands, large consumer brands. Um, and then saw a space that there was definitely opportunity to work on mid-tier brands as well as uh, still work with large brands and work with mid-tier brands. And then even, you know, individual shops on coming up with new items, either for the, the back of the house or, or retail, um, taking some of their great ideas, some of their unique uh, uses of products, uses uses of chilies, coming up with sauces, pickles. I've done bread items, um, and really bringing those to life for them that, that they could either sell them out of the restaurants, um, use them in the restaurants, and you know get into markets and stores, and local stores. I've have have a few people who've gotten uh, some national uh, uh, grocery distribution. It's it's just really exciting to see an idea and a recipe from somebody in the back of the kitchen, and then have that reproduced and, and, and brought to life in a large scale. 
Yeah. And uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you are, you know, what are the benefits of exploring this idea of getting your, your ideas, your products on the shelves in one benefit that comes to my mind is just getting that, that another channel of revenue. And one thing that we, I, you know, we learn about as entrepreneurs is you've got to constantly be looking for ways to diversify and to open up new channels of revenue into your business. So you're not just like having all of your eggs in one basket. So other, I mean, do you want to speak to that at all? Or, or can you think of any other? Oh benefits? yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, there's, there's definitely a benefit from, from getting another source of revenue and diversifying as one of the chefs jokes with me. There's a lot of Mondays and Tuesdays in the restaurant business. Um, you know, having a product to make you, make you uh, some revenue, um, and then also it's, it's, I look at it too, as marketing, um, you know, if, especially like, I do a lot of product development in the Chicago area and there's a lot of markets there that have really, and, and even larger grocery chains, um, that have said, you know, we're going to have a local product, local chef section in the restaurant in the, in the, in the grocery store. And, you know, I'm sure people are buying that product cause they know that chef, but I, I also think there's some you know, going the other way where somebody's trying something and saying, I'm going to go check out this restaurant. So I, I look at it as both revenue marketing. Um, and then, and just be also, you know, a lot, sometimes if you're, if it's a hot sauce or a condiment or, you know, it's very close to the, to the kitchen recipe. So in, in many cases, getting that bulk pack too for your, for your restaurant is going to save on some labor and, and allow some people to do some other things and be creative in the restaurant and not have to spend, time making that sauce that they make every Monday or Tuesday. Wait, I'm kind of confused uh, uh, or just more interested. Uh, so, so far we, we, for us, as far as benefits go, we have, it's another channel of revenue. Uh, it's another, it's more exposure. So it's good for marketing. And you said it saves on labor. Uh, explain that for me. Cause I'm not really sure how, and it's interesting. Well, you know, so some, some, some of the chefs I've worked with have, um, and not all, but some of, have, uh, have, they're constantly making, you know, one, uh, one chef comes to mind where they're making and spending time dedicated to uh, making a, a marinara every, every day. Yeah. Um, and then that marinara is chilled down and then used, um, out by the dishes that come in, you know, at, at service, um, basically taking a commissary approach and, and making that exact recipe that exact marinara that could be placed into a, a 16 ounce glass jar and sold as, as a revenue opportunity and also packed as bulk um, and put into uh, the restaurant scenario. Okay. And so instead of just buying a bulk marinara off the, you know, the food service catalog um, that's out there from a distributor, it's your recipe and you're controlling the quality every time. And it doesn't matter if, you know, that cook that made it that day is different or I wasn't feeling well or just didn't feel like, doing a great job. It's the same every day. I got you. Um, and, and so th- th- that, that definitely you know, is an opportunity for them. Um, and again, it's not every product's going to work like that, but if the recipe can be translated into a large scale and the products have no differences, then I think it's definitely a benefit to look at um, not only saving labor in your unit, um, but also potentially bringing the cost of a production rundown because individual glass bottles are, you know, there's a lot of cost to, wrapped up in those. And if you can split, you know, split the, split the runs down and, and, and make them in bulk, it allows you to have, um, have this opportunity to play in, in this retail space, you know, for not much investment. 
Beautiful. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, saving on labor because you can produce things in bulk instead of doing it day and day and day. Um, the marketing opportunities, uh, new channels of revenue. What are some of the other benefits, if any, that you can think of before we move on? Um, you know, I, I just think it's it's uh, it's self it's, it's self satisfying. It's, it has some satisfaction to actually have a product that, that you've done that's your recipe that you know could be sold anywhere. Um, I've had chefs that. Uh, have been selling their products in local markets and a buyer from England for a large grocery chain walked in that was buying products to try and liked it, you know, got our number and we wound up exporting product to London and we're in every Marks and Spencer in Great Britain. I mean, that's, that's kind of an accomplishment. You know, there's definitely a feeling of accomplishment with, with doing something like that. Okay. So we covered some of the reasons why we might be interested in, uh, you know, I guess putting our energy into getting up product or, or whatever on the shelves. Uh, but what are some of the, the cons or I guess a better way to look at this is what are some of the biggest challenges when you get a new client who wants to get a product to the shelves? What are the biggest challenges you run into most often uh, that kind of the hold them up or that cause them to stumble a little bit? Like what, what should we be aware of uh, before we invest in um, or start taking actions in this direction? Um, well, there's a couple of things you need to think about is like where it's going to live or reside. You know, is it a, is it an ambient in a jar product? Is it a freezer, uh, item? Is it refrigerated? If it's refrigerated, what's the shelf life going to be? You know, those are things that you kind of have to iron out and think about. Um, and, and typically when somebody calls me or contacts me, that's one of the first things we, we talk about is sort of what the goals of the product or, or the idea uh, are, um, that's always a challenge. And then the other challenges are, you know, you could be making a product um, in a restaurant and some of the techniques used are very hard to duplicate in an industrial form. Um, I, I've done a pretty good job at sourcing both from raw materials and ingredients that mimic or, be, or are close to um, some of these techniques. Uh, working with processors, I, I found a pretty good processing network and then in food food commissary, food plant network that they're flexible. They want to try new things. They want to be innovative with their techniques. Um, I think that's key. Always keeping an open mind from a production standpoint uh, when you're working with new, new chefs and new ideas. Um, and then, you know, keeping things safe, you know, you got to follow the, the FDA guidelines on, on food processing. If it's, if it's a meat product, the USDA has several guidelines, regulations that you still got to keep it in mind at the end of the day, which it's not much different than some of the HACCP plans that our restaurants are putting together. And then most chefs are well aware of, of some of these things, but when you start putting things on shelves and there's certain attributes of the product that have to, that has to be met before it can, can reside on a, a shelf without refrigeration or um, a refrigerator, for instance. So the, the three things I wrote down, um, you got to consider the, the shelf life doesn't need to be refrigerated. That's kind of packed together. Uh, is it easy to reproduce and is it safe or some of the biggest, I guess, uh, hiccups or things that kind of prevent people from actually getting these things on the shelf? Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that those are, those are, I think those are the hardest things. I mean, that, and then who, you know, and then of course, once you get the actual physical attributes of the, of the product, um, solved and nailed down. It's you know the selling process. You, you know it's not going to sell itself. You got to got to be active. You got to market it. You have to interact with grocery buyers and and distributors. It's it's uh 
it's a fun and, and can be very uh, lucrative and successful, but you, you definitely have to work on it. You're not going to just sell it by itself. You know, some of the chefs I work with uh, are just happy selling it in their restaurants, and, and it's a nice another revenue stream. It's a kind of a take home. Some give them away as gifts uh, to their great, you know, great customers that are there frequently. Um, and others you know, go in more broad and look for large grocery chains and distribution with, with, with partners, um, you know, they'll take the product across the country. Okay. So I kind of want to dive deeper into each of these bullets that I have of the, the shelf life refrigeration, uh, easy to reproduce. Mm-hmm. Is it safe in the, the selling process? Do you actually have the bandwidth after you produce this to get it out there to make, make it a, people aware of it? So the, the first bullet there, the, the refrigeration shelf life, is there like a, a, I guess a, a cutoff point where if you're, if the shelf life of your product is say X amount of time, then it's not worth going through this, this, these motions because you won't be able to move it fast enough. Is there like a, a bottom yeah, line definitely. that you recommend? I mean, yeah, yeah. De- what is definitely. That? Cause you gotta think about, well, it depends on where you're, you're selling the product, but let's just use an example of say you're selling it at a, a, a grocery store or a, uh, you know, like a, like a Whole Foods, for example, and you might be in their, their one of their regions at twenty thirty store. You know, to get the product from the plant to the to the grocery store itself takes some time. So if your product only has like a three or four week shelf life, and you've already taken one week to get it there, it means it only has twenty one days to sell. And there's you know, it adds bigger risk for you know the grocery store or bigger risk for the actual pr- producer, the chef that's selling it, depending on the arrangement with the grocery store. So. I always look at refrigerated items. There's some processes out there, um, depending on the product. High, high pressure pasteurization, for instance, is a product where you can get a clean label um, and still have uh, some decent shelf life. You know, 90, 120 days. I wouldn't look at anything you know less than definitely less than 60. I prefer 90, 120 on on refrigerated items. I think there's just too much risk in losing revenue on spoiled products and it's, you know, it's a cost, um, as well. Um, I, you know, the, the ambient products, the, the jarred sauces, those sort of things you are getting one in two years. So on of shelf life. So you're thinking about, you know, going, you're already at a setback going down from one or two years to 120 days. So I certainly wouldn't want to go less than that. Um, so, so those you, are things. Okay. That you, Sorry. Let me cut you off there. Um, so I got a minimum 60 days. If it's going to be less than 60 days, you're looking at the, you're starting, you're going to start to ask yourself, is this really realistic? Uh, but the sweet spots right. between 90 and 120 days. Yeah, I, I think that that's a fair, a fair assessment. Okay, cool. Uh, you also mentioned refrigeration. Uh, what, what do we need to consider as far as expenses? Uh, what typically does it cost to, I mean, I mean, this might be a hard number or figure to come up with, but is there like a, an estimated expense we can project for keeping these things refrigerated or what, what do we need to know in that regard? Well, it's, it's a channel of distribution. So your, your distribution costs more to ship either frozen or refrigerated. Um, typically double that of ambient conditions. And then the longer the product stays in a, a cold storage warehouse, there's a, you know, there's a fee. Um, but if you have a distribution partner, you, you know, the, the real increase in cost is just getting it to that partner and paying that extra, that extra freight, uh, due to the refrigerated trucks that are taking it there. Um, once it's in their hands, 
um, you know, they're, they're getting into the grocery store. They're working with, with them to, to market it and get it, get it out there as soon as possible. Okay. Um, cool. You know, the challenge with this, with shelf life is really is, you know, you know, the distribution network we, we know is going to take some time. You you, know, you want to have as many days as on the shelf as possible. Um, so that's where you've seen some, you know, technology advances with, with either a process or, you know, or ingredients. There's some, you know, natural plant extracts and some other things that are, that are on the natural, natural forefront um, to still pull out preservatives that we used to get you that shelf life um, and replace them with something natural that, that, you know, is also extending and, and, and helping the product perform and, and, and be good still. Cool. Okay. Let's move on to uh, what you said regarding Uh, is it easy to reproduce? So when you were thinking of, when you said that, I wasn't sure if I quite absorbed the message behind that line. Is that saying like, can we reproduce this the same way consistently every time? Or can somebody else reproduce this and kind of steal our market? Um, No, I was actually thinking of like a chef, a chef's recipe is, could, could that technique or what's causing that product to be a great, uh, you know, flavor or, or texture or item be reproduced in a manufacturing facility, you know, instead of a, a couple gallon sauce pot on the stove, um, when you're scaling up to 500 and a thousand gallons, you know, those little tiny jars of that secret ingredient that he's or she's throwing in the pot, it's not, um, necessarily available. So what, um, what can you, you know, find to, to help, uh, make that exact same product, um, you know, with maybe with a different technique or a different, different ingredient. So instead of saying, is this easily, uh, reproducible, is this easily scalable? Is that another way to look at it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a better word. Definitely. Okay, cool. Um, all right. And the other things that we mentioned is, uh, is it safe in the selling process? So let's dive into, is it safe? What things do we really need to be considering, uh, that we might not consider otherwise, you know, if you weren't here to, to uh, you know, raw materials, uh, raw materials, you're, you're, you're I always think in a, a microbiological terms, you know, if you start with something that has a high micro load, you know, that's going to reduce shelf life. That's going to increase the chances of having a pathogen in there. Um, when you're talking sauces, you're looking at things that, um, will prevent growth. So, you know, all your products that are on grocery store shelves that are, in a jar or an ambient, you know, in a, in a sauce bottle, um, there's a pH, uh, processing guideline, you know, for that product. So it has to be below, I believe it's four, 4.6. Most are far below 4.6 pH, but, but that's sort of the cutoff of, you know, to what's, be hot filled in a, in a jar. pH has to do with the amount of acid in the product. Okay. So think of, um, you know, lemon juice is going to have a really low pH and then something that's, basic is going to have a high pH, but from, from a, from a product standpoint, we're talking uh, 4.6 and lower. Um, you know, it has to be hot filled, has to be heat treated. Um, some cold fill, no heat treated products have to be below three, 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 three point three somewhere in there. Um, and so the things, when you start to go below 3.3 and 3.0, they're going to be really sour. So, so you know, a lot of your hot sauces, think of that vinegar note, that, that, that acid note that you get from them. Um, all those products are in the, in the threes and, uh, typically. So you want to be below 4.6 pH because at that point, yeah, I have to be below 4.6. at that point, if it's above 4.6, you have to start, uh, investing in the tools to do a hot fill. Is that what I heard? No, no, you're, you're already hot filling. You're hot filling below okay. 4.6 too. 
once you once you're over four six, you're in the refrigerated frozen category. Okay, it's not gotcha. going to last on the shelf, you okay. know, without either molding or or uh, spoilage bacteria growing. What other things regarding uh, safety do we need to consider before uh, starting to make strides in this direction? What should we consider? Uh, the processing plant and the quality level of the plant that is making the product, um, you know, what their sanitation programs are, the material handling guidelines. If there's similar to when you're doing that sort of hazard analysis in your restaurant HACCP program, um, you know, that the food plants have to do that same exercise. So um, partnering with uh, somebody who's making great wholesome product that takes care of you know, the, their, their equipment, their, their facilities is, is key. Beautiful. All right. And the last thing I have on the cons or things that we need to consider is uh, that, that selling process. So what should we know before making this commitment uh, regarding the selling process? Well, you know, there's two ways to grow a business. Um, you have a really great idea and you think it's, it's innovative and there's, uh, there's no product like it out there. Um, it's, it's how you want to grow that. It's, you could grow slowly with getting a few markets here and there, getting a regional chain to pick you up, then, then, then expanding uh, like that. Or you could go all in with, with um, money and, and, and time and invest in, in marketing and getting that out there. I don't think it's as difficult to get, um, to get a distributor partner um, because all the risk is on the actual seller. It's not the distributor. So, um, for example, somebody might take you on and, and they think your product's great and puts you in 500 grocery stores. And if those products don't sell in a year or two years, you know, depending on whatever the shelf life is, they bill you back. So, you know, it, it's, you've got to have the, um, the marketing behind you. You have to have the, the interaction with, with your grocery partners, your distribution partners, um, and just decide, you know, if you want to go slow or or go go quick. Mm-hmm. Um, go quick typically takes a lot more resources, time, and money. So, as part of the question too, just is this thing good enough? Like, is there a demand for this? If I'm going to put the time and the energy to get this on shelves, like, have I developed a reputation? Is my brand out there? Like, will this will this sure. move? It's a hard question to yeah, ask. Yeah, what's the point of difference? I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's food is sort of like you could say that about any, any yeah. you know, marketed item. It's like, what's the, the point of difference between this phone and that phone? Or, um, but, you know, that that's that, that's sort of the key is, you know, I've worked with chefs that are very focused on, we're going to sell to this grocery store chain, and here's how, and here's why, and, and they get it done, and, and they're successful. And, 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 uh, and others think that they could just sell it, you know, locally, and, and, and that's all they want to do. And that that's, that works out great for them too, but I, there's definitely um, this middle ground of you have to have that mindset that if you're going to go into these large large venues to sell your products, you have to put the time and the focus behind it. Yeah, and um, it's just like I said earlier, it doesn't sell itself and to it doesn't add, promote itself. Yeah. And, to add on to that. Um, because you're you're kind of touching on something I wanted to mention before moving on to the next the next topic, which is, are do you have the bandwidth to do this? Like going making this commitment, it's going to be like starting a whole new business. So, have you created the systems, the processes, the procedures? Can your business, your restaurant, run without you for maybe a, a few months, maybe six months? How, how long? I mean, what's a realistic, a realistic time? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, so I've I, you know I've I've had uh, restaurants do different different things. They've actually hired, you know, kind of project managers 
that that handle this. They've hired outside marketing people that that do it. Mm, um, outsource, okay. Uh, yeah, so they outsource, or you know, they, they're involved in ordering. I, it varies. I think it varies by situation. It varies by what their their goals are and their objective is. Okay. Um, so I guess so it, as, it really it, it, go ahead. Yeah, it, it really varies on if you if you want that product, how, how fast you want to grow. I mentioned that earlier. If it's you know, I want to have, I want to get a product in, and in, 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 in I keep going back to sauce because it's just a simple, easy thing to talk about. If I want to have that sauce in my restaurant to sell, you know, maybe use some too. Um, that's a much easier managed process than I'm going to go be in, you know, a thousand unit grocery store chain nationwide. So maybe that, scale that a like, lot more effort. Yeah, yeah. Test it in your own facility. Uh, under your own roof, is it moving off your shelves? If you, if it is, yeah. then maybe you got something. That's a good way to kind of, uh, right. To- yeah. I mean, it's moving off your shelf. Like I think I've had people that don't own restaurants come to, to develop products or want to develop products. And then, you know, they have no outlet. So they're starting from, from having to shop the product to the, to the local markets. Whereas the restaurant, um, you know, with a lot of chefs do events, um, you know, festivals, they have an outlet to sell their products to. They, ha- they have uh, um, a lot of marketing just built into just the way they run their, their current business to have markets say, yeah, I want to put that on my shelf. Um, you know, especially from the local standpoint, um, you know, it's definitely more, even more challenging if you, you don't even have that, that step one, one there. Um, but it's as much as you want to put into it um, as far as how, how you grow it. Okay, so uh, to kind of bring it back to put some more emphasis on the whole, uh, the point I wanted to make earlier, which is make sure you have the, the systems processes in place to remove yourself from the day to day because it's going to be a lot of work. Um, this is what I see kill a lot of restaurants when they have one great restaurant and they have this idea for another restaurant. They go to open the, that next restaurant and then meanwhile, yeah. restaurant A, the first restaurant, falls to pieces and shambles because that person uh, they had a, a, a people dependent operation, not a system dependent operation. So make sure you have uh, those, you know, systems in place. So you can't remove yourself to focus on the side project. Cause it's going to be a lot of work. It sounds yeah. like it's going to be a lot of work. Well, it, it, I mean, if you're doing it by yourself, it's going to be a lot of work. You know, I, I work with a lot of shelves. They or chefs. They, they, they hire chef to shelf to help them not only formulate work with the plants, but also that, that first few production runs sort of help manage that and, and, and get that going and, until they're comfortable ordering and, 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 uh, figuring out what they're going to, you know, how they're getting their freight and getting the product to the, to the restaurant, um, or, uh, you know, a shop or market. Um, but yeah, as far as uh, a chef, it's like anything, any setting up, setting up any business objective is, uh, you know, I would set up a growth plan, like what, what, what your goals are with, with this product or this idea and, you know, one, two and five year goals, for instance, and, and then what will it take to have your five-year goals come to fruition and how many people will it take to help you get there. Beautiful. Um, a couple of questions before we go to break. Uh, the first question, which items have the best margins? Uh, if we're, we're going into this, is there, is there like a, a, a category or, or an area of like products that like do really well that we should know about? Um, you know, from a margin standpoint, I think we're starting out, you know, a lot of margins come with scale, unfortunately. So um, when you're starting out a process, um, you know, the more volume you can put through a plant, uh, typically the better pricing you get. The, the, they get better pricing on ingredients. Um, they're more efficient 
in, in their when they're in their production process because they're running the same thing for a longer period of time. So there's definitely scale for margin or margin and, and actual scale. Um, as far as is there categories of products that are, um, you know, it, it, I would I don't. I wouldn't say there's one that stands out, you know, um, you must go make this style product to make money. I think you can make money in any category, um, but you do have to keep in mind scale. And so when you're starting out, um, everything costs more, unfortunately, I mean, your ingredients cost more, your packaging costs more, um, trying to, uh, when I, when I, uh, work with chefs and like a glass bottles are a perfect example, a lot of them want, you know, this sexy, amazing, you know, unique glass bottle, you know, it can be, can be found, but it's going to be twice as much as the common hot sauce bottle that, you know, everyone else is running it in. And the reason everyone else is running it in is because of, of that, that price difference. Um, you know, when you're talking about pricing a product on a grocery store shelf, you know, if you, every, you know, 10 cents that you put into your packaging is going to be 30 cents on the shelf. So you have to look at, um, you know, where can I make some cuts to keep my price still competitive with the peers that are out there? You don't want to be the most expensive product necessarily, um, unless you have a great reason to. Okay, good advice. So the other thing I wanted to ask real quick, uh, you mentioned you can outsource. Excuse me, I'm battling a cold right now. <clears throat> you, can, you can outsource. So are, are there any brands or companies uh, – that you recommend that you can share with us now? I mean, I know that you consult on this. Is this something that you do? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't do um, much actual sales work. I mean, I certainly have, I've worked with distributors. I've worked with grocery stores. Um, that's not something I do. I just simply don't have the bandwidth to do that. Um, but there are networks of, of um, people that, that, that do that. I, pr- I probably couldn't give you any names right off the top of my head. Um, you know, but that, that service is definitely out there. Um, okay. you know, even large brands use, use that to an extent. Okay. Um, where, um, you know, large brands, for instance, will have a network of people that work, you know, with the different grocery store chains to do promotions, for instance, to make sure that the, the promotion windows, um, you know, are being, you know, advertised correctly, met correctly products there. Um, so there, there's, there's a whole industry of people that, that, that help market your stuff. I mean, but again, it does cost money to do yeah. that. So, um, it, it just, it's just another line item on your, your P and L. Where should we look to go find people that can help us with this? Like, where is that? Is there like a, uh, a, a online resource, like a directory or where do we discover these people that can help us? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I have to, I probably have to get back to you on that one. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to take a quick break. The thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Nobody likes doing paperwork. If you have a growing group of restaurants and find yourself wishing you could snap your fingers and have all of your invoices and AP instantly disappear from your plate, then you need to call Sorcery. Sorcery is used to make owning and operating a restaurant a breeze. Instead of dreading invoices, you'll be delighted to be synced with every vendor. With your new relationships, you can work on negotiating the best price to improve your margins. And Sorcery's biggest super power is that they watch the prices you pay across the kitchen from dry goods to proteins to produce and when citrus skyrockets you'll know to update your recipes before you end up kicking yourself at the end of the quarter 
To learn more, head over to www.getsorcery.com or find the banner in the show notes. If you mention Restaurant Unstoppable at checkout, you'll get your first month free. Yep. To be unstoppable, most restaurant owners require extra capital from time to time. When you need funding to renovate, buy equipment, or manage cash flow, you don't have time to track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. That's where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and you'll get a decision right away. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You never have to reapply to take out additional loans and you only pay for the funds you use. Cabbage has helped more than 100,000 businesses from every industry with over $3 billion in funding. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company twice in a row. Check out Cabbage with a K dot com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash unstoppable line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. And we're back. And uh, I guess the only other thing I wanted to uh, discuss with you today are some of the trends uh, that we should be knowing about as far as uh, what's happening with retail, getting our products to shelves, which, which I guess what people are doing well, why are they doing well? Like what, what are you seeing in the market right now regarding getting products to to retail and shelves? Yeah. I mean, I I was at, um, there was a, sort of a trade show convention called private label manufacturers association. And and it's a group of, of, of production facilities that are showing grocery store chains, their, their capabilities and, and, and ideas. Um, it was fascinating to walk the floor and, and then see, you know, I, I kind of took away, you know, definitely clean label is here to stay. Um, you know, I always used to you know, 10 years ago, say clean label, um, the whole food sort of banned ingredient list. And that's sort of become almost industry standard for restaurant chains are starting to clean up their menus. Uh, the grocery stores are starting to kind of adopt a lot of those standards. And so when I look at developing a product, I, I, I automatically just go ahead and develop the clean. And that just typically means no artificial flavors, no artificial colors. Uh, you know, per, there's a whole host of preservatives you can't use. So it's going back to, you know, keeping things more natural, um, you know, some of the ingredients that are in there are in there for a reason. So what are you going to replace them with to still get that functionality of a mold inhibitor, for instance, or something to keep that shelf life uh, where it needs to be and keep that product safe. So there's definitely natural alternatives. There's a whole bunch of work going on and excitement going on in natural, um, natural flavor and enhancers, natural um, plant derivatives for shelf life, um, natural antioxidants for for uh, products to, to have not have that warmed over flavor when you reheat it for instance um so that, that that's an exciting field and i see that as as is that will continue to grow and 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 and, and be uh be something that sticks around um the other thing i'm seeing is just you know health and snacking um different flowers vegetables used as flowers um you know for baking or for uh, uh, chips, or um, that's 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 a huge category that was uh, that was promoted a couple weeks ago at this show. Um, you know, benefits products with benefits that are still tasty and good. Um, so I, I think 
you know, again, like I said at the beginning, it's an exciting time to to be in food and be, be making food because I, I think people are trying things that that they wouldn't even have considered you know, ten years ago. Anything else? I uh, know. I think that's. I think I could cover that one there. So one um, thing I want to point out uh, with the natural uh, alternatives, I'm assuming one of the biggest setbacks regarding that is that shelf life. Uh, the less, the more natural things tend to be, the less life they tend to have. Is that a safe assumption to make? Yeah, they can be depending on the product. I mean, um, you know, some of, some of the sauces, for example, you're still going to get the same shelf life because that's really dictated by, by the pH, the, the hot fill and, and yeah. the pH. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, some things you're going to lose. You might not have that bright red color, for instance, in, yeah. on, on products. I mean, um, it, some of the colors uh, has the consumers are so used to seeing things of colors and you know, a strawberry jam being bright, bright red the whole time. And it's, that's just not, you know, going to be possible, you know, in a natural product, it's going to brown over time. So um, I, I see that as uh, an education process for the consumer to, and that's already occurring. I mean, we, we have so many chains and so many um, grocery chains that are pulling out these artificial colors that I think, you know, 10 years from now, that's going to be, a pretty standard thing that they're not going to, people aren't going to be expecting food to look like this glowing colors that used to be, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. And to kind of tie on to that, the natural uh, alternatives kind of in tying that into the sourcing locally. The good news is I, I've noticed that. Yeah. I would agree with you that sourcing locally is, you mentioned that earlier, right? Sourcing locally is being a trend. Yeah. So yeah. Sourcing, sourcing locally and, 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 and getting, um, you know, just like at the restaurant menu, restaurant level, you know, they'll, they'll give a list or a chalkboard or their farms or their growers. And, and, and I'm working with, with that, trying to scale that up. And I, and I think that there's, um, I, I think there's some value there. I think even, you know, even on the grocery store shelf, knowing where that product came from, um, and you'll see that marketed in different grocery stores, you know, if, if it's, you know, your state, for instance, you'll see made in, you know, North Carolina, made in Virginia. Yeah. Um, so it, that, that's, uh, that's definitely, I think, um, on the consumer's mind. Where, where, where's my food made? Who, who did this for me? Yeah, and the other things to consider too, when, when you are, say, you you are trying to get your product to market, but you're only interested in the local market, then that kind of helps alleviate some of the stress of you know that that shelf life do i need to transport this really far is it going to uh i mean if i make it in small batches i don't i don't need to get it out to as many locations so i can only just focus on getting it out to like local retailers or something like that so it does kind of having that 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 local emphasis is kind of in the favor of the small producer yeah or no oh yeah i mean from a from a um, standpoint of your distribution. It just, again, it depends on what the product category is. If it's a frozen product or a shelf stable on a shelf product. I mean, I, I think you're, you're um, working locally is just going to benefit your freight costs, not really your shelf life. But if it's a refrigerated item, you know, with a finite shelf life uh, or a tight shelf life, definitely. Yeah. That's going to, tremendous and the only other thing i can think of mentioning is don't be so close-minded to b2c like you don't have to produce uh products for uh just the consumer there's a lot of other local chefs people in your community that uh, might want your product uh in their restaurants and so they're using your tools so i mean think of it that way too if you're really good at making a sauce and you have a lot of you know chef friends uh see if you can't convince your chef friends to get the owners to you know buy your products 
and help, you know, help yeah, each other and out. I, and I have, I, I have several chef clients in Chicago that have done that almost like a trading network. Like, yeah. And that's yeah, where I'll, the magic I'll, I'll is this. in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that's, that's fantastic. So, and it's a great way to look at, yep. um, a great way to look at not only revenue for yourself, but revenue for your chef friends. And then, um, it also, like I said earlier, cuts, it cuts costs. Yep. You know, if you don't have to pack, if you're having to make 500 gallons of something and you have to pack it in five ounce bottles, it's going to be way more money than it is if you have to just do 250 and five ounce bottles and the other 250 and five gallon buckets. Yep. Beautiful. Huge difference. Awesome. Price, so. Well, this has been, uh, I think, just packed with great advice. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us today. I think I've learned a lot. I hope my listeners have too. Uh, any final thoughts, anything we didn't touch on that you were hoping we would touch on? Uh, this is your last chance before we wrap things up. Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, uh, I think we covered everything I wanted to talk about from a trend perspective, working with you know farmers, working with great ingredient companies. Um, and then really the success of the product is really what, what the chef and the, and the marketing partners put into it. Okay. And how can we connect with you? If we want to ask you some more questions uh, and may, maybe just start a conversation with you, what's the best way to connect? Yes. Um, I have a website, chef to shelf, chef, the number two shelf.com. Um, and there's some contact uh, buttons on there that'll email me. And, um, and we could certainly have conversations that people are interested in, in getting a product to market formulated. Cool. And this is episode 407. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 407. I'll try to summarize the conversation over there and I'll, I'll link back to Chef's Two Shelves for you guys to make it easy so don't you know pull over, don't get in a car accident trying to write the stuff down. I got you back. And uh, before we say goodbye, I wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. That's how I found you. Kyle McKnight called you out. Or Kyle Lee. Wait, did I get that right? Yeah, I talked to too many people. Yep. In. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he called you out. Uh, what? What's the person or who's the person that you know you admire? Uh, you think is just crushing in this industry, and you believe would just make a great guest mentor for us, like you made for us today? Yeah, I, well, I've I've done a lot of work with uh, Chef Bill Kim in Chicago, and Bill was actually my first sauce client that I did a, a product for um, when I kind of stepped away from the Sierra Leone world. Um, he uh, operates several restaurants in Chicago. Uh, he used to be primarily fine dining, and now he's killing it with sort of a modern Korean um, uh, restaurants. And he'd be a great person to talk to. He's got a line of sauces, and he's always in products, and he and I are always talking about new, new lines, and um, he'd be fun to talk to. Bill Kim, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And uh, just thank you so much for taking the time uh, to you know expand our knowledge on this topic. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure we're all better off after listening to you. So there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you for having me. All right. Cheers. There is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurants Unstoppable. Uh, special thanks to Sean for joining us today and to, uh, you know, shine light on this topic of getting our products on the shelves of retail stores or in just packaged in general. Some of the, some of the pros, uh, the benefits to doing this again, to summarize uh, that new channel of revenue, uh, marketing your brand. And saving on labor costs. That was a surprise to me. I wasn't expecting to, to get that. And, um, and just self-satisfying, you know, to, to know that you accomplish something to, uh, you know, support your business and to have something to be, to be proud of. I think is 
and a good reason to do this. Uh, but I think the thing that excites, excites me the most about this idea of creating your own products is the opportunity to uh, collaborate and to sell your products to other restaurants, to other businesses, uh, and to know your lane and to not be so narrow minded and thinking of keeping things in your four walls, but collaborate and think of win-win situations and how to, uh, provide a service to your fellow restaurateur, uh, give them a product that they can get excited about. And then, you know, they're going to pay you for that product. Why not? Why not work with each other? Why not know your strengths and recognize the strengths in other people and, uh, reward those people for their strengths. I think, I mean, that's the way of the future. I hope that's the way of the future where we, you know, rely less on the Cisco's of the world and rely more on each other and, you know, supporting one another. Uh, and I think this is one great way we can do that. And that's that to me, that's the most exciting thing about, uh, what's happening. Uh, we kind of discussed it a little bit towards the end there, the trends, uh, what's happening. People want, natural food it's really hard to do natural food on huge scale so do it locally and you know give it to those in your community um I'm, i don't really know a lot about this topic sean is our expert i don't want to go too too far and to say what's possible but i know that if, if it is possible it's up to us to really get behind this so uh, i don't know just something to to chew on there something to leave you guys with and on that note if you guys can think of a an expert or a restaurant owner, restaurateur who's just crushing it in your community, put them on my radar. Shoot me an email, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. Find me on Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable or Instagram and Twitter, Eric Cacciatore. Let me know who I need to connect with. I love those recommendations. They really help me find great people and keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. I do accept donations. Every little bit helps. Let's keep this podcast free restaurantunstoppable.com slash support and something I don't promote a lot but I should start promoting more is the uh, one-on-one chats I do so if you're looking for somebody just to brainstorm with or just to share some thoughts with and get some feedback or maybe you want to connect with a past guest uh, set up a one-on-one chat with me uh, 15 minutes it's free and it's a, a way for me to kind of keep my ear to the ground and find out what the, the pains and struggles are out there so I can then go and create content around it. And I just like connecting with my listeners to be completely honest. Uh, it's great to talk to you guys and to know that, uh, I can serve you And anyway, take advantage of it. 15 minutes free with me. Sometimes I go a little bit longer. I'm not so strict on that 15 minutes, but you know, anyway, uh, I think that's all I have for today. Thank you guys so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.